Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers, so next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. You're listening to Episode 19 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. Today I am bringing you an interview with a tiny home dweller and an advocate of the tiny home movement. By definition, a tiny home is a home that is no bigger than 400 square feet. It sounds a little crazy, right? By now, you've probably realized that the tiny home movement is not going away. In fact, it's a trend that's rapidly catching on with the youngins of Generation Z, with millennials, and even with baby boomers looking to retire and downsize. Now, I love HGTV and It is my guilty pleasure. I was first introduced to the concept of tiny homes through HGTV's franchise, Tiny House Hunters. I first watched the show in both equal parts amazement and horror. The amazement came from the fact that I just couldn't understand the logistics behind multiple people living in such close quarters. The Horror came from the fact that something intuitively just didn't feel right because the families on the show were going directly against the life script they're quote-unquote supposed to follow. Since first watching Tiny House Hunters, I've really examined my reluctance about tiny home living and I've actually made a complete turnaround with my opinions. Homeownership and the American dream are synonymous, right? Homeownership represents success. It represents putting down roots. And there's something metaphorically contradictory about living in a home with wheels, right? Home is supposed to provide stability and the literal and figurative foundation of the American family. And when you own a home, it's a stable place where you belong, where you can always return even. And tiny homes are often, but not always, meant to be moved. Tiny houses are also hard to categorize, right? Because what is it exactly? Is it a mobile home? Or is it something completely new that we haven't yet seen? 
We're going to get into all that today with my guest, Emily Jurgi. She, her husband, her four-year-old son, and their four pets live in, get this, a 325-square-foot home on wheels. Now, it's not a mobile home. It's a tiny home, and we will get all into the difference between the two in the interview. Emily is an author, and she is doing great things in the tiny home community. Emily and I discuss all the benefits of tiny home living, such as reduced costs, reduced environmental impacts, a simpler lifestyle, and the ability to maximize life experiences. We also talk about why Americans just generally assume that bigger is better, and we muse whether it's time to take a conscious step back and away from the bigger is better mentality. Everything we talk about today is in the show notes, mamaminimalist.com forward slash zero one nine. And in the show notes, you can also find pictures of Emily's tiny home as well as a link to her own HGTV episode. I am thrilled to introduce you to Emily Jurdy. Enjoy the interview. Emily, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love your podcast and I'm so honored to be on. Right off the bat, I just want to give a big kudos to you because there are people who think about making drastic changes in their lives, and then there are people who do it. And you're one of the people who do it. So I'm quite impressed. Tell us all about your tiny home. Yeah. So we started our designing our tiny home in August of 2015, as far as that's when our trailer actually arrived. So before that, we had done a lot of thought about it because in a tiny house, design is everything. When you have 325 square feet to deal with, you want to be really mindful and thoughtful about how you go about putting it together so it works for your family. Um, so from there, we you know started. We worked with a builder, and his name is Jim Wilkins with Tiny Green Cabins, and he helped us you know kind of get together this vision and whether or not he could make it work or not. And we came to this you know final product and it took about a year to build and we helped out with, um, you know, as much as we could. So we were there helping on weekends and sometimes my husband would be there um, during the week in the evening after work. And we just kind of worked together to make it come alive. And it was the most amazing experience. When we were designing our tiny house, we built it as non-toxic as possible. So that was really fun to really see kind of what innovations are out there right now as far as green building. So we decided to go with cork flooring, which is sustainable and non-toxic. And we were able to find a bunch of non-toxic stains and paints. And we made sure we had a really good air filtration system because air quality in tiny homes are really key. We made sure we had tons, we have tons and tons of windows. So we could get that cross breeze and we can just kind of feel like we're out in nature. We also, at the time we were living in Minnesota, so we drove to Wisconsin and got some local wood that was untreated. And so it was just this beautiful journey of really living it instead of just talking about it. And our tiny house, as I said earlier, is 325 square feet. It has two lofts for sleeping. We do still co-sleep with our son. So we actually ended up all just sleeping in one loft and then the other loft is for toys and play and family time. And then we have a full-size shower. 
a composting toilet, which of course is extremely sustainable. And then we have a washer dryer that washes and dries, but we actually only wash in it and then we line dry. Um, Part of that was because of our initiative to be sustainable, but also it's just cheaper and faster. And as far as um, the kitchen, we have everything a regular kitchen has. We have a three-quarter size fridge. So it's kind of, some people call it apartment size. It's not like dorm, college dorm size. It's actual fridge. And then we have a double full-size sink. We have a half-size dishwasher. So yes, we have a dishwasher. (laughs) Uh, We have an oven. And, you know, again, it's four-burner stove, but it's just skinnier. So we can still fit your average pan in there. So we have an oven. And so we really just have everything a regular house has. It's just smaller. (laughs) It sounds lovely. Uh, And you touched on a really important point in terms of sustainability right off the bat, which is Smaller homes mean just by definition a smaller carbon footprint because there's you know less space to heat and cool and the kitchen appliances are smaller and fewer trees are cut down to make the lumber to build the thing. So I'm wondering, was sustainability on your mind as you were designing the house or was eco-friendly practices just a consequence of tiny home living and design? The tiny house uh, adventure for us came out of my passion for sustainability. We were trying to be sustainable in our large home. So I actually ran my business in my basement and we only lived upstairs. So we were utilizing the whole house, but we looked into solar and we looked into geothermal and the costs were just outlandish. We're like, we can't, we can't do this. This isn't going to work for us. So I was like, how else can I be sustainable? So then I was introduced to the tiny house movement. And I was just blown away. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the solution. We can be sustainable. We can have more financial freedom. Everything about it just really resonated with me. And, you know, like you said, it's, there's so many aspects that are sustainable, but the major sustainability is the fact that it's smaller, but the tiny houses are built in a way that you still get all the luxuries of a regular home, but your impact and your utilities and everything is just so much smaller that yeah, it's always been, you know, on the forefront. It was just wonderful that the benefits also came out financially and mentally and physically. Everything sort of manifested into this beautiful adventure of, wow, I didn't realize I was not only being sustainable, but I was changing my life on all areas. And you can actually watch our journey on HGTV. We were in Tiny House Big Living um, season two, and we're called the Birch episode. And you can, you know, we really talk a lot about how we wanted to bring nature in and how sustainability was our biggest pull for that. And it was really fun to kind of see that evolve because now that we've been living in it for a while, it's turned into this whole journey of, oh my gosh, we can make, we can go so much further with this. Now we can build communities, we can have community gardens, we can make sure everyone's using non toxic you know, cleaners and everything in their homes within this community. And it was just this, it's just so beautiful to see it evolve and how tiny houses are not the only way to do this, but it is one of the options that is sustainable for our future. Nice. You just touched on, you know, the sustainability benefit of tiny house living, but another huge one that you talk about in your book is the amount of free time you have. 
you said in the book that you can clean your home in 15 minutes. Is that is that right? Yeah, you know, just like the basics cleaning, you know, like vacuum and a quick dust over takes me 15 minutes. I mean, if I'm going to reorganize, of course, and I always tell people like laundry and dishes take the time that laundry and dishes take, right? But at the same time, we have less dishes, so we tend to do them a lot more quickly, but we also cook everything from home from scratch pretty much. So, you know, that just automatically, you can't really cut that time down, but the organizing and the cleaning and the dusting takes no time at all. So that begs the question, what do you do with all your free time? Well, Norm, you know, it's been this whole journey of kind of playing with it. So when we first we first moved in, we've been in our tiny house for over two years. And for the first year, it was really just sort of soul searching and yoga and meditation and just really mindful healing practices. So that was kind of the first year. Then the second year was sort of I started dabbling and getting involved in making tiny houses legal and making communities because you know, it was really interesting. And to me, and I was like, you know, as much as I love, I had amazing people to stay on their property, but I'm kind of done squatting in people's backyards. I'd kind of like to create something beautiful, but I actually ended up having two miscarriages. So that was put on hold. So now within the last few months, I've had this great epiphany of like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do this. So we moved to Colorado and now we're ready to start community. So my free time is now going to basically researching and talking and networking with people, you know, city officials and people within the tiny house community and trying to get tiny houses legalized and, and safe and up to code. So that's kind of been my new journey. Um, but, you know, obviously mindfulness and, and healing myself was really the most important journey, which allowed me to follow my passion and desires. This is a completely unscientific observation, but I feel as though people have one of two reactions to tiny home living. One is, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Tiny home dwellers are onto something amazing. Or it's a heck no, I would never do that. Why? (laughs) So what has your experience been in talking with people in Colorado and creating these communities? Have, Have you found a significant amount of people receptive to the idea? Yeah. And I, I've actually had the same experience as you. So we can just say it's scientific, right? Like <laughs> it does, it swings both ways. There's not much of a middle ground. As far as my experience, they're either all about it, amazing, supportive, or they're like, that's disgusting. We don't need another mobile home park and trashy people and parties and drugs and da da da. The list goes on. So I, of course, have been working with the people who are super pumped about it. So then our job is to show people that we aren't creating an RV park. This is not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with RV parks. I absolutely, I've stayed in several. We have a camper and we love going out and having a good time and relaxing and, you know, but we just come at it from, we can't live there with our tiny house because it's always, you know, a vacation. It's a very vacation vibe. And we're looking for family and community and we're not really interested in the smoking and drinking and partying. And we just want it to be, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but like we're searching for community and family oriented sort of place to live. So our job is to show people that we are creating basically your average suburban community on a small scale. And also in a, in a scale where there's a community center, there's, you know, community gardens. So it's, it's more, 
it's, it's more of a centralized, we're here to help each other versus an average. I grew up in a suburb in Minnesota and there was nothing wrong with it, but you know, it's kind of to each their own. It's just like, Oh, Hey, I'll do the cordial little wave and like, yeah, how's the kids? Okay. Bye. You know? And again, some people thrive on that, but for me, I was searching for community and, you know, help each other out. And as you know, being a mom, being sustainable, being holistic health and doing all these things is a lot of work. Going against the average flow of society takes a lot of work. So we were kind of looking for that community vibe where people can help each other out. Like everyone's kind of helping make the food grow and we're helping each other with our kids and we're offering free yoga in a library. And so it really just evolved into this. We're kind of finding people who are looking for that. They're sort of tired of that cordial, like, I live next to people, but we're not really a community. So that's kind of what the people that we're working with and networking with and trying to create this together. Just from talking to you, it sounds like you are a crunchy mom. And no no judgment. It's actually as though you're my soul sister because I'm pretty crunchy too. I'm all about the organic, the non-GMO. I'm plastic free. And it sounds like you are too. Are tiny homes only for people like us? Oh, that's a great question. No, tiny homes are for anyone. And I always tell people that the great thing about tiny homes is you design it for you. So if you're not about the like sustainable floor, if you want a a floor that's going to really last and like, you know, hold up and you've got a million kids and pets and you don't want it to get scratched. Okay. That's great. Whatever, whatever works. And that's, The beauty of the tiny house community is that it's not a one size fits all. And, you know, whether you're in the crunchy mindset or you're doing it because environmental holistic, the thing, the great thing about it is either way, whether you want to or not, you're being sustainable just by the fact of its size. So no matter what you do with your home, what's in it, you're still being, at least it's a step in the right direction. And that's what I tell people is, you know, whoever wants to go into this, you ha- everyone has their own reasons. And I've met people who are doing it for the financial freedom, for the freedom of having less clutter. They, they are more mindful and less stressed because they don't have all this stuff and they can spend their money elsewhere. I also know people who go into it because they just want to travel and they build a small enough tiny house that they can pull themselves and they, they want to travel in luxury and not be in a camper. So It's just there's so many amazing reasons people go into it. And I just say, if you feel called to do it, definitely do it. And there's definitely plenty of places to park. And it's not the only answer. Of course, you know, living in an apartment is more sustainable than a large home, living in a townhome. Those didn't work for us because of our lifestyle, because we're very picky with chemicals and shared spaces and air quality. So that didn't work for us. But there's so many ways to be sustainable with your living. And if you have a big house, just, you know, there's so many ways like decluttering and, you know, solar, and there's just so many different ways to do it. And I just like to tell people, if you are interested in it, just, you know, make sure that you design it for you and your needs. Mm-hmm. I want to shift gears for a minute and talk more about how the tiny home is impacting your son's upbringing. How old is he? Is he three? He's four now. Oh, he's four. Okay. So I can just hear the naysayers who may tell you that he needs a home and he needs toys and he needs this and that. I wonder what you say to people who may 
nicely or not so nicely criticized your parenting decisions. What What is your son getting by living in a tiny home that he wouldn't necessarily get if he was living like most other four-year-olds? You know, it's so funny. I got that question a lot, more so at the beginning. Um, but now that we've been living it, people don't ask anymore because they see my Instagram and Facebook and they read my book and they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. So Basically, when people ask us that, we say, well, I, so I used to be a teacher, right? So I taught first grade in a public school. And I like to give the kid, people the analogy of, okay, think of your child in their classroom. How many square feet do they have in that classroom that they share with usually 30 plus children? And of course, you know, of course, that varies by area. And if you have a private school or, or public or, but in general, how much space do they get? So, you know, I looked it up online and like usually the rule is somewhere between like 30 to 60 square feet per kid. And and often, like especially in more rural areas, of course, that's going to be less. And in more wealthy areas, there might be a little more. But in general, that's the square footage they get. So they spend eight out of the, eight hours of their day in a classroom with 30 other people. And so then I compare that to my tiny house. And I'm like, well, I have one kid and 325 square feet. Keep in mind, we will be having more kids, but then we have a plan for that. So my son, when he gets to be 13-ish years old or whenever he so feels ready, we will be building him a tiny house or renovate a non-toxic camper. So, you know, we have thought of that. We don't expect him to be a 14-year-old with no room. You know, he's going to have his own space. But as far as right now, his life has exponentially increased in value. We now, instead of spending money, you know, up keeping our house and our mortgage, we and utilities, he goes rock climbing. He did gymnastics class. You know, we have passes to go camping and hiking. We go swimming. I mean, I and I, I can homeschool now. Before I was homeschooling, but I was running a daycare full time in my basement. So our entire lives revolved around walking to the park and coming back and playing in the backyard and coming back. And his life, he's just opened up into this whole new kid because we just explore the world around us all day long. That's all we do now. So it's just when when people ask me that, I kind of giggle and I'm like, well, let me tell you, his life has all has been improved. He's happier. He's, you know, getting exercise. He's out in nature and every he has less toys. And he just is so vibrant that it's, it's hard to explain, but it's just it changes your kid's life forever because they're just out there being a kid. And not to say that you need to homeschool, even if they went to school, you still could use that extra income for vacations or, you know, you're going to the library more because you're like, I have to admit, yeah, it's a small space. Personally, I'm a small person, so it doesn't bother me, but my husband gets a little stir crazy. So he, you know, we do, we go to the library, we have our rock climbing pass, we we get out and just out in the community, we find free events. So you get really creative and it really helps you find community and network and open spaces to play and have fun. And you, because you don't feel like being trapped in your house, binge watching TV. So it's, it's been so wonderful on so many levels. Yeah, you speak to um, a staple of the minimalist movement, which is you put value into experience over stuff. And it sounds like the tiny home movement really just accentuates that staple of minimalism, right? Like you have more money to spend because you're not spending money on frivolous things. And you put that money into 
life experiences to make the most out of the moment and in your son's case, the most out of his childhood. Would that be accurate? Oh, absolutely. And I listened to your podcast about that. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, that's like so funny. You could have wrote my that chapter in my book. <laughs> it was so cool. Just to go off of that is, um, I've spoken before about how my husband and I lived in a tiny apartment in Boston before moving to the suburbs. And we were minimalists without knowing it then because our space was tiny and your space dictates the amount of stuff you have, right? It's um, it's just the way it goes. If you don't have storage, we didn't have a garage, we didn't have a basement. So we could only keep what fit in our shoebox apartment. It was a little bigger than your 325 square foot tiny home, but <laughs> but we could clean it quickly. And then we were, we were out, we were living life, we were exploring our home city, and we weren't bogged down by obligation and bogged down by stuff. So again, there's not so much a question there as just another observation as to how we seem to think in America, and in the West, even that bigger is better. But Maybe it's time to reevaluate that. Yeah, I yeah, I agree 100% and having traveled to Africa and Europe um and um Guatemala and stuff it it, it kind of it was eye opening because it was like everyone like lives tiny. So it was this really like epiphany and of course at the time I didn't know anything about tiny houses but that was my first step to like oh the rest of the world kind of lives small. Especially Europe, I mean granted the you know the prices are outrageous but you know like in London I was like oh these are all small houses so yeah it's definitely kind of this interesting shift to see if we will as a country start kind of going back to that and it's like hey how about instead of building all these huge houses developments why don't we build you know more like 800 or 1000 square feet and of course you know it's america right so like we deserve the choice if you have eight kids i don't expect you to live in a 325 square foot home that's just physically impossible so there's definitely like, you know, there's that variance of like what make it work for you. You know, maybe you want to build an 800 square foot home or a yurt, or maybe you want to have a 1000 square foot home because you have five kids and you utilize it for, you know, your yoga studio or there's just so many options out there. But I think it's just like you said, just sort of kind of reevaluating what's important to us because there's a study out there that did a heat map on how much of your home you use. And it was some ridiculous percentage. And I keep forgetting to look it back up. I've been on several podcasts. I got to look this up. But it was something under 50%. Like you use less than 50% of your home. So then it's like, okay, well, then what's the purpose? I'm heating and cooling and maintaining and cleaning and dusting this home. And I'm only using less than half of it. Like, let's talk about this as a society. And let's make sure that we are making homes that fit the needs of the people looking for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. We have these gigantic houses to hold our stuff. I actually read an interesting statistic just recently in you know the 70s. The average American household had three and a half people and the average house was 1,500 square feet. And now... The average American family has two and a half people, so a whole person less, 
but the average home size has jumped to nearly 2,600 square feet. So we're getting bigger homes to, ho- to house less people. It just doesn't make any sense. Wow. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. That's that just, yeah, that's crazy. And you think of the houses, at least when in Minnesota, I haven't really grasped, we've only been here four weeks. So I haven't really grasped the housing to here, but in Minnesota, the, these new developments going up that, yeah, the minimum square footage was over 2000 square feet. Usually, honestly, a lot of them were like 3000 square feet, three levels, and they were at like 400,000. And I'm thinking to myself, like, first of all, who can afford these homes? Second of all, I know most of these people can't afford having five or six kids. So they probably have one or two kids. And so I'm like, what, where, where are we going with this? Like, why are these homes? Yes, we, you know, it's, it's, it's supply and demand, right? So as a society, we have to make a conscious effort to say, wait a minute, we don't need homes this big. Let's get homes that still meet all our needs. And that's where the tiny house movement came from, right? Is that I have all everything I had in my bigger house, only it's way more efficient. Before I even knew anything about tiny houses, I would rock around our 2,200 square foot home. And I'd be like, wow, this room is completely empty besides like a chair. And I have all this open space that I'm heating and cooling and I'm not using it. There's no storage here. It has no purpose. I'd have several like, there's like, why do we need three or four living rooms? How many of us use all of our living rooms? So it's just interesting to kind of rethink of like, what is the purpose of our home? What are we using it for? And how can we best utilize the space? Yeah, you really speak to the importance of being more conscious in terms of every aspect of our life. I often talk about conscious consumerism, but it often comes down to just conscious living. Like, instead of just going with the grain, because that's what everybody else is doing, you really stop, look around and make choices that make sense. Yeah, absolutely. So if there's somebody listening today who's really interested in creating, designing, and building a tiny home, based on your experiences, what tips would you give? So my biggest tip, and this is a new epiphany now that I'm actually starting to get involved in the community. So with tiny houses, they are currently being built by professionals and non-professionals. My husband and I are not builders. We have zero experience. We barely got the storm door on. So we hired, and I felt really good about doing that because he was, you know, like a professional contractor. Now there's um, new things in the IRC code. So the IRC code is basically the national building code. So regular homes have to be built to a standard, of course. And now, as of 2018, some amazing trailblazers, um, especially Andrew Morrison, got the Appendix Q approved. So what that means is that tiny houses on foundations now have a basically guidebook. So when builders are building, they can build to this Appendix Q so that tiny house communities can start to move towards a legal status. So my biggest recommendation would be to really, if you are going to go with a builder, make sure they are building to code, make sure they are building to the most recent code, um, and make sure that they are using this appendix Q as a guide. It's not perfect. We're working on improving it and making it more detailed. But as of now, that's what's available. If you're going to do it yourself, the same applies. Make sure you're doing it to code. If you want to live in the middle of nowhere, um, there are places 
there's zoning that you can do whatever you want with it. There's no rules. You can just park and do what you want. That's fine if that's what you want. If you do want to be within like 30, 40, 50 minutes of a big city or even a medium city, um, you definitely want to make sure that you're getting someone who's qualified or you are building it to code. So that's been a new epiphany for me because luckily our builder was just smart about that and was doing that anyway. Um, but I didn't consciously know about it. So I just, that's what I ask people to do is make sure you're going at it from a perspective that I can actually park this somewhere in the future, which for some is really disheartening because of course that increases the cost. But it, um, I assure you it's worth it in the end because no matter what, you're going to be saving money on utilities. So that would be my first recommendation. Okay. And it must also be important to think about building to code for resale value as well. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And resale value is a hot topic with tiny houses. Um, I wouldn't go into it as far as the resale value. So like we built ours because we knew we were going to live in it for a lifetime and that any adjustments and modifications we need to make are going to be super affordable because it's essentially the same cost of renovating your bathroom or your living room because it is so small. So that's kind of where we came at it from. And, you know, because it's on wheels and a trailer, there's really some interesting price is always this huge hot button issue in tiny houses. And I talk about it a lot. And when I'm out speaking is that materials cost what they cost. RVs are cheap because they're made out of cheap materials. I know I live in one. I have lived in one and I'm, you know, it's like they're cheap. They fall apart. We had seven things break within six months and it's brand new. Tiny houses are built to last. They are literally a home on a trailer. It's built the same as a home. Same framings, insulation, everything. So when you're, if you're coming at it from a perspective of like resale, it's really hard to come up with hard lines because it depends on, as of now, some people do see the value that it's built like a home and it does hold its you know, value, whereas others still see them as an RV. So it, that'll change in time. But basically, you know, it, it really comes down to designing it the way you want, designing it with the future in mind, and de designing it um, to code. Now, I've looked at pictures of your home on your Instagram, which is awesome, by the way. Based on your experience living in your home, is there any essential design features you'd recommend to other people? Or is there any design features you wish you had done differently so as to maximize space? Yeah. So we, we, if we did it again, you know, I always am interested in, um, innovation. So some people are designing their tiny houses with slide outs, like a camper. Um, I'm not sure how that would work down the road as far as living in a community. I just think they're super cool <laughs> and it really opens up that space, the living space. So the time we spend traveling in our camper, having that slide out is really fun because you do kind of have that floor space to like do yoga or exercise or sit down as a family. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not really sure that that would be something then that could be allowed in a community. So I'm kind of thankful we didn't go with that. But as far as design, you know, lofts, you really have to think about as far as your health and your vitality, can you handle a loft? So some people prefer to have lofts just for like storage 
and not as their living space. So if you're gonna, if you're interested in a tiny home, definitely step into several tiny homes, go to tiny home festivals to call local builders, step into a tiny home, get the feel. Cause the lofts is always one of those things you either love or hate them. I love them because they feel like a cozy little den and I don't, I just feel like at home. I, I just feel cozy and I sleep better in a loft than I do in this like big random open room. And some people hate crawling on their knees. So, you know, make sure you feel it out, test it out, see if you like it. And then as far as design, we really love having a full-size shower. I've been in several tiny homes and our camper as well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even like move in here. I can't actually clean myself. <laughs> but So just definitely think about like what's important. And then with the kitchen, like for us, we... You, we cook our food like for, at home. So we eat gluten-free, mainly dairy-free, organic, non-processed foods for the most part. So we use the kitchen. We use our oven. We use our stovetop. We need a lot of counter space to be cutting up veggies. And so that's really important to us. So we designed our, our tiny house to make sure that we have a huge counter space. So there's really no like, yes, you need this other than I would say windows. Lots and lots of windows make it feel super open and airy and be very conscious about your paint choice. We did a lot of white because people had recommended it being making it feel big and it did. It feels huge. So it, I know it's really silly to say a tiny house feels huge, but there's 13 and a half foot ceilings. So it does. It has this sort of like gallery feel because it's just got tons of windows, white walls and all this open space. Well, and one thing I've learned from this conversation and talking to you is that hugeness and space is relative, right? Well, it's, it is. It's really funny because you look at our house from the outside and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so small. Then you step into it and you're like, oh my gosh, how did you fit all this in here? Because it's so, tiny houses are so perfect in the fact that they utilize every space and that's why they feel big. <laughs> For anybody who would love to learn more about you and your family and your journey, where can they find you? The first place you can find me is in my book, Minimalist Living for a Maximum Life, available on Amazon, um, online, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, basically anywhere books are sold. So that just tells you about our whole journey and how we made it happen and how the lifestyle shifted for us. You, and then as far as social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Mindful Minimalist Mama. And then as far as my own website, it's www.mindfulminimalistmama.com. And I'm working on my YouTube, but that I'm you, eventually you're going to see some fun tiny house uh, videos coming out of Mindful Minimalist Mama on YouTube as well. So yeah, basically, you, as long as you use those three words together, you're going to find me. And if you really want specifically only our tiny house journey, it's tiny house big moments. Emily, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. I have a lot to think about. I have a lot to talk to my husband about, actually. <laughs> so thank you again. Yes, thank you for having me and spreading such amazing wisdom and amazing topics out to the world. And I look forward to continually listening to your podcast and seeing all the amazing things you come up with. Thank you. So there it is, my interview with Emily Jurdy. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to her. You can find so much more of Emily in the show notes. I link to her book and her website and her Instagram and her HGTV episode, 
mamaminimalist.com forward slash zero one nine, M-A-M-A minimalist.com forward slash zero one nine. A friendly reminder to please review and rate and tell your friends all about this podcast. It is growing by leaps and bounds every single week, and I thank each and every one of you listeners because I know it is all thanks to you. Next week, we are beginning a two-part series on low-waste and zero-waste living. I look forward to seeing you then. Take care.